The Ziggler Show comes from the legacy of Zig Ziggler and brings together personal and professional growth, business success, and faith. I'm your host, Kevin Miller. In this episode, it's impossible till it's done. Uh, wonderful movies and stories of our time are made from people who achieved something which seemed impossible, right? Either for themselves or for anyone at all. The best stories are the ones which are actually true, which are so many of them. History is littered with such feats. Well, how about you? Have you done something you or others once thought was impossible? Or do you dream of achieving something you feel is impossible and unreasonable for you? Well, this shows for you. Andy Andrews is my guest. Andy is author of more than 25 books, several of which are New York Times bestsellers, including The Traveler's Gift and The Noticer. ABC's Good Morning America named The Traveler's Gift one of the five books you must read in your lifetime. And he's spoken at the request of four different presidents of the United States. He's coached our nation's Special Operations Command for eight years and has been part of nine college football national championship teams in a row. He works as a consultant to Fortune 500 companies small businesses, and sometimes entire communities who hire him to create a starting point for extraordinary results. Well, his newest book, Just Jones, Sometimes a Thing is Impossible Until It is Actually Done, released September 8th, 2020. A New York Times reporter recently wrote, Andy Andrews has quietly become one of the most influential people in America. And folks, that is so true. To me, Andy is an incredible guy with an incredible story. He writes incredibly intriguing fiction with a point which we talk about in this show. And speaking of points, the point of his latest book, Just Jones, about doing something that seems impossible until it's actually done. A key point we discover or discuss in this show together is Andy stating what most folks lack is perspective, a broader view. And I just find it so true for myself and others. We so often have such a narrow view of what is and what is not possible. This is why Andy is cited by some of the world's elite as a professional noticer. He believes we can all become such. Matter of fact, buy Andy's new book, Just Jones, from Amazon or anywhere. Send him a receipt or a screenshot and send it to andy at andyandrews.com and you'll gain access to his four-hour audio program, Becoming a Noticer. So I'm going to bring Andy to you after I share what else we have for you and some great products and services. Andy, you are so well known. So many people have read your books and I'm sure somebody knows your backstory. I don't, but as we do, as I talked to before, we have so many people <laughs> who are on this journey themselves, or they say, I want to do what he does. Uh, tell us how you ended up. When was the time when you realized you're a speaker, you're an author, or you decided that's the direction I want to go. And, and what were you doing before then? I was uh, homeless on the beach. Literally, I, when I was 19 years old, my parents died, both of them in the same year. My mom died of cancer. My dad was killed in a car accident. And and uh, I made some bad moves and ended up literally homeless before that was even a word. You know, nobody was talking about homeless people 35 years ago, but I was living under a pier and in and out of people's garages, which is not safe or smart. But but I did. And I uh, met an old guy who, who really kind of started me reading. He was the first guy to ever tell me the truth about myself. And uh, we, ca we called him Jones. And he, was, he called himself a noticer. So he said, you know, when God was passing out talents, I didn't get the cool ones. I can't run fast. I can't sing great. But I noticed little things that make a difference in people's lives. And... And he was really the person who, who started me reading, who started, because I'd always been kind of a field and stream, sports of field, you know, sports illustrated kind of person. But he started me reading biographies. And, and that was really the, the beginning of that. Because I, as a writer, I still am kind of amazed. I, you know, I wasn't the best writer in my senior English class. So you are biographies pull out a couple of biographies i've got teenage sons and if this if, if they did this for you give me some top yeah. of the list okay you know um anything about uh winston churchill anything about churchill there's a really good uh a good biography that's about three different people called the aviators it's by winston groom 
You might recognize that name because Winston Groom is the guy who wrote Forrest Gump. Oh, yeah. But most of the books Winston wrote uh, or has written have been, uh, you know, history kind of things. And so he's got a series called uh, The Allies, which is about Churchill, Stalin and Roosevelt. Uh, The Generals, which is about Marshall, Patton and... um, um, who's I shall return? I shall return. I don't remember. Come on, come on. I shall yeah, return. MacArthur, MacArthur, MacArthur. That was my MacArthur. next guess. Then, yeah, yeah, okay. And then uh, the Aviators, which is about Lindbergh, Jimmy Doolittle, and um, uh, Eddie Rickenbacker. And and those, man, those are just great biographies. There's a biography that I think. St- uh, Stephen McCullough did, or David McCullough, David McCullough did about the Wright brothers, uh-huh. which kind of blew my mind. Because, you know, you kind of think, ah, the Wright brothers, okay, they they were the first ones to fly. What else is there? But, but man, it, it, was, it was fascinating. And, and I read, during that time, I read over 200 biographies of these people and began to kind of graph what they were about in my mind. And I still think, you know, I still read biographies because I think it's a, it's a great way to be mentored by people who the, you know, the jury is in on their lives. Well, so in that, when you hear people talking about, you know, the books I read, the people like that biographies, they go, okay, so you got this knowledge from them. Was it, when you look at the culmination, was it the knowledge that you received from those books? And I'm sure it's both. Of course it was. But then how much does it factor in, you know, the Jim Rohn effect? You, you become the average of the five people you hang around most. And if you're hanging around the realities of these people, I mean, I, I'm always amazed that when I hang out with people, especially who have uh, successes and achievements in areas that I don't, my own belief and self-expectation rises up. It's just the most amazing phenomenon. And is that what you saw happening amidst these readings? in addition to just the actual knowledge? You know, I, I really began to question myself when I read those biographies because my, my big question became, uh, you know, were these people born this way? Yeah. It's, you know, you're reading, you know, book after book after book of great people, and you think, man, are these people just born this way or was it something they did? And if it was something they did, what did they do? And how long did it take them to do it? And I I began to kind of graph seven things. There were seven principles that each of them had. And I could see that from a distance. You know, those eventually became the seven decisions in in the book I wrote, The Traveler's Gift. Right. But, But I would see those seven things. But it was curious to me that it seemed that only two or three of them were very active in their lives. It was like they only knew they had two or three and really harnessed two or three. I never really saw anybody that I thought they know they have all seven and they're making the best use of all of them. But it made me think what happens to somebody who knows all seven? You know, what happens to the kid whose parents know all seven of those things and and, and raise that child that way? And so those those biographies gave me and still give me a ton of context well, so I want people to hear that. The Traveler's Gift, that's the book that I, uh, I, I don't know. Was that your first book? It's the first one that I was uh, It was the to. first novel I wrote. It was the, the first, uh, you know, that really kind of set, uh, it was the first New York Times bestseller. And it was the first one that became kind of my style, you know, which was like that nobody knew what it was, I guess, you know, because when the when the, the Traveler's Gift went on the New York Times bestseller list, it went on on the list in hardcover fiction. And the same week it was on the Wall Street Journal list in hardcover nonfiction. That's awesome. And and so, it, you know, to this day, my books are really kind of a combination of both, and they've they kind of yank back and forth on those lists if they if they make a list. Uh, that's yeah. That's I mean, with that book, would you say? I mean, that's the dream everybody has. They wrote that one book, and it just went to the top of the list. I mean, is it fair to say that it made your career the introductory at least? It definitely it, it definitely gave me the chance to write another book. 
Okay. <laughs> right? Okay. I mean, at, at the time, because, uh, you know, at first I couldn't get the book published. Uh, I mean, and I'm, I'm not saying it was difficult or it took a little while. I'm telling you, 51 publishers turned down, uh, you know, the manuscript. I mean, 51 publishers over three and a half years said that what I had written was not worth putting on paper. And, wow. and then... And, and so, you know, and, and I say this not to brag, but just because I know there are people who get discouraged about what they've written or their worth or their work. And so, you know, when you think about it, I mean, this book has sold millions of copies around the world. It's it's uh, 17 years later. It still sells in hardback in America. And, you know, it's used by national champions, Super Bowl winners, World Series champions by companies and and yet 51 publishers said it wasn't worth printing and so they weren't just wrong they were really wrong mm -hmm. and and so to me that says what is it in your life that you are tempted to to quit i mean you can't you can't rely on somebody else's opinion about your worth and your work you know, I, I remember them asking me, uh, you know, who is this book for? And I said, well, it's for everybody. And they said, well, it can't be for everybody. You know, it can't be for everybody. That's what well, I would. That's it, what I would have said. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and as it turns out, uh, you know, the uh, high schools use it, junior high schools use it, senior citizens' homes, prisons, corporations, teams, and and so it's. And it, you know, it went. Uh, it was on the fiction list in the New York Times, nonfiction in Wall Street Journal, uh, self improvement on Barnes and Noble, literature in Amazon, uh, Publishers Weekly had it in religion. I, I mean, it was just all like all over the map. Okay, well, I want to push into that, Andy. I mean, that's a that's a huge. Uh, personal development issue right there, business development issue. Where we're all sitting on that. That's the movie you see where the guy has the idea, the gal has the idea, and they're going to stick with it, never quit, never quit, never quit, and and stick with it. And I get that. I mean, I think we all we we hear that, and we see a lot of people falling by the wayside because they do quit. They get some criticism, they get a no or whatever. Now, I'm going to ask this from my own standpoint. I've also had some things of my own where. It, it, maybe it, it just wasn't that good. I mean, that could have been a real, uh, could have been possible that it just, sure. you know, you had a good heart, good intent. Maybe there was a good message, but it wasn't good. Right. I mean, that could have been in there. So for, so for somebody to say, oh my gosh, I'm going to stick with it. Cause and I'm sure you've counseled people where you've looked and go, you know what? It, it needs some help. You need to improve your craft. Right. And where's yeah. that? I mean, we've all seen, we've seen American Idol where the guy says, you know, God wants me to be, you know, a rock star. And, and, you know, we're like, Hey, if God wants you to be a rock star, God would have allowed you to carry a tune. <laughs> exactly. You know? Thank you. So, there you go. There you go. Okay. So balance that reconcile that for i mean not that you can but to some degree well, you know persisting without exception doesn't mean banging your head against the same brick in the same wall okay there there are times that that we need to learn and things change there is context in our lives and the rules and the boundaries that we put around ourselves and around our lives at certain times may be um, perfect for that time. Okay, they may be because, because a lot of times those rules and those boundaries are based upon our understanding at that time and our knowledge at the time. But our, our knowledge and understanding changes. And so if you are playing by the same rules and doing the same things that you did a year ago, there are things that are obsolete. You know, do not cross the street without holding hands or don't talk to strangers. These are perfect rules for a certain time in your life. But there comes a time when these rules are obsolete. Okay. Well, Andy, I, yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to jump in. You know, uh, dad's book, See at the Top, I think he went to over 25 publishers. They all said no. And then he self-published. And then they figured out, wait, this is going to sell. Right. <laughs> and he got a publisher. And I asked him, I said, how did you know it would sell? And he would, he would say this. And he said, well, it's the same story I've been sharing from the stage 
and a hundred percent of the heads are nodding up and down. Was your experience similar? Because I know that's good uh, as a speaker and a storyteller and all the things that you've done. Did you, did you try the messaging out of that book in front of audiences and you had that new, or was this a totally new angle? No, no, I had, I, I tried that messaging. I knew that these things connected just like your dad did. He knew. And, and so it, it was one of those things that I had already self-published a couple or three books, but for whatever reason, I, I just felt like this one, I needed to have a major publisher on. Uh, at that time, um, you know, that was kind of the next step for me. And, and I, you know, I, I watched your dad and I saw what your dad did and, and I just, man, what a, what a great leadership example in my life. But at that particular time, I, I like your dad, I knew this would work. I just, I, but it was so different from what any, you know, anybody had sold. You know, I wrote the book called The Noticer, right? Uh, you know, about the old man. Who, who came and found me under the pier. You know, I, I wrote that book. And when I, when I turned that book in, that, that book is the New York Times bestseller too. And when I wrote that book, my own publisher said, well, you can't call it The Noticer. And I said, why can't I call it The Noticer? They said, because that's not a word. It's not a real word. And I'm like, well, neither was Google a few years ago. <laughs> You know, I mean, we we can change things, you know, we can make it work. So it, it, it's just I, I am I guess I never cease to be amazed by people's inability to think past what they know. And that's one of the things Jones said to me. That is one of the most profound things the old man ever said to me is you can't believe everything you think. You are listening to The Ziggler Show in this episode with master storyteller Andy Andrews. Next, I ask Andy about the testimonials and telltale signs he had that this book and message was in fact solid and not something he should have let go after all those rejections. I also ask him about his specific non-orthodox writing style. So we'll jump right back in after I share some great products and services. I do want to go back really to what you said. So to some degree, my dad, Dan Miller, who, you know, so many people come to him, want to be a coach, a consultant, whatever they say, you know, how do you know we have what it takes? He says, are people already asking for your advice? That's a telltale sign. Uh, If not, then you may need to question, is this really the place for (laughs) you to go? Well, okay. So, so similarly, so what you are saying is with these with these principles, with these messaging that you had in that book, you had some testimony. There were telltale signs in your life and in the lives of others that this is valid. To take that forward, that to me speaks a lot more than, yeah, the invention that nobody's seen, heard of, thought of, uh, and, and somebody's holding on to and they're saying, oh my gosh, this, you know, I, I know this, I have belief, but they don't have any social proof, let's say. So you did right. have that. Okay. Yeah. That, that's, that speaks a lot. To the style though. Uh, you wrote this, I pulled this out of a blog you wrote. You said, I write books that Christians can give to their non-Christian friends that they will actually read, uh, creating an opportunity for conversation between the Christian and the non-Christian. I, I, I love that perspective. Uh, and, but also, you know, to that writing style, when did you decide, well, do you call yourself, how do you label yourself? I, you know, self-help, personal development. How would you say I write to this style? You write it in a form but it's achieving, I mean, I've got a bookshelf behind me of self-help personal development books that are trying to, you know, communicate a point. You do yeah. that, but you do it in story format. I do. And I, and I honestly, Kevin, I have a hard time telling you what I, you know, what area I fit in, which is probably why if you walk into a bookstore, you find my books in eight or nine different places, hmm. which is not good. But but the, you know, for one thing, I, I write fiction and nonfiction in the same book. Now, yeah. I, I, I used to meet people all the time. I still do occasionally that would that would say something like, you know, I only read nonfiction. I only read, you know, just like they couldn't be bothered by by fiction. You know, I only read nonfiction. Well, 
I, I think that we need a combination of the two. And the reason is because nonfiction will bring you facts, but fiction can fire your imagination in a way that the facts will never be able to. And if you only know the facts and don't develop the imagination to use those facts in a way that is a little bit different than the same way everybody's seeing things. You know, I mean, we are stuck in America in our families and our businesses. We're, we're totally stuck by, by what's called an industry standard or best practices. And, you know, people know this is how it's done. And, and so there is a, a style that I just kind of developed, which is I write fiction and nonfiction in the same book, which which creates kind of funny, I don't know, kind of funny uh, conversations sometimes with my publisher. I remember talking to them with uh, Traveler's Gift about to come out. And they said, now we're putting this in the nonfiction section. And I said, and you know what the book is about. The, the Traveler's Gift is a story about a family going through a tough time. And the dad gets to travel through time, meeting with seven historical figures who are also going through a tough time of their own. He gets to be with Anne Frank in the annex, he gets to be with Lincoln at Gettysburg. And so so anyway, I'm, I'm talking to the publisher and they say, no, so we're going to be, uh, you know, we're slotting this in nonfiction. I said, really? And they said, yes, nonfiction. I said, okay, well, now... Think with me here. A man goes back into time uh-huh. and is with, is with Lincoln at Gettys. This is nonfiction to you, you know. I, I, so I, but but what I'm trying to do, I guess, is just evidence of suspending that that disbelief, where people are like, yeah, okay, this could happen, yeah, yeah, because what I I, I want to do is bring a reality to people that you can teach this way. This is why, you know, I had a real famous football coach told me not too long ago, he said, you know, we give, we take one book every year and we use that book all year. And and he said, we used one of your books last year. And he said, man, our book, our guys overwhelmingly, they like this book better than any. And I, you know, I said, thank you, of course. But I wanted to say, dude, it's just because it's a story. It's just a story. They could, you know, they got into it. It was a story. It was fun to them. You know, one of the things that you've tapped into is that the way the brain works, uh, is w- the most destructive thing probably ever invented for the brain was TV mm-hmm. because our brain doesn't have to fill in the gaps. Our brain doesn't have to imagine what could be. And so combining fiction with fact is probably the best vehicle ever to help somebody move from where they are to what could be not what they want. Right. Because so many times, so many times our wants are just a little bit more, but you're talking about what could be, which is so much more powerful. That's exactly right. And that's, you know, it's a curious thing. There was, uh, you know, if I, if I say to you guys, if I said, uh, um, you know, three dog night, um, you know, Jeremiah was a bullfrog, was a good friend of mine. There's there's something that you're thinking about. There's something. But but if I said to you, um, thriller, mm-hmm. OK, then I know exactly what you're thinking about, mm-hmm. because in 1983, when when thriller debuted as a video and all these songs started having videos, no longer were we free to kind of think of and, and interpret them how we wanted. We were interpreting them how we were told to interpret them. And, and so, you know, whereas I think of being in the sixth grade and out in, on the playground at Gerard Elementary School when Three Dog Night was, you know, doing that song, I, we all think the same thing about Thriller and, and a bunch of different songs because it's, we and my point is that your imagination is very powerful, and to allow somebody else to take it and somebody else to use it is it's just it's 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 just not it's not good it's not good for you. Well, I'm go ahead, Tom. 
Yeah, I just I just wanted to uh, share a story. Uh, you know, you talk about the noticer. I think you are the noticer. And we, I know, it was like 10 years ago, Andy, you were in our studios in Dallas. Right. And we did a, back then we called them webcasts and, and you came in and we had lunch with mom and dad. And when we left that lunch, uh, dad was, you know, he, he passed away about eight years ago now. Uh, and so he was a little unstable on his feet and I was walking out of the restaurant and I was holding his hand and I didn't, I didn't think anything of it. And as we got back to the studio, because mom and dad went home, we went back to the studio. You were in the studio before me and you had tears in your eyes. And I said, what's going on? And you said, you have to take that picture. And I said, what picture is that? Oh. And wow. you said, when you walked out of the uh, restaurant, you and your dad were holding hands and you made me promise to recapture that moment. So Cindy and I went back uh, about two weeks later and we took this picture and yeah. it's dad and I uh, walking out and you made me promise to send it to you. Yep. And I sent it to you. And then three weeks later, you sent back, this picture framed hmm. next to another picture, which had you in the middle and your two sons walking away from the camera. So everybody on the podcast, the, the first picture is dad and I walking away from the camera, holding hands. The one that Andy sent back was his two sons and he's in the middle. How old were your sons at that time? They were like seven and five. And somebody had taken a picture of us walking down the street and sent it to me and just made the comment, uh, enjoy this because they won't be holding your hands uh, very much longer. And it was about a week or so later that I saw you and your dad and it just, it just killed me. I just thought, wow, I just, you know, that's what I want. I want a relationship with my sons that will last like like Tom and Ziggs has lasted. And and so you and your dad have been, you know, such not just an inspiration or an influence, but an, just a flat out example for me and and my boys, too. Well, I, I, I look at that picture uh, in my in my office and I've got it beside my desk. I see it every single day. And what's interesting is, you know, I've been thinking about legacy because we're preparing for transition, right? Dad and his age and everything. That picture encapsulates legacy better than any imagery I could have ever paid the most expensive graphic designers in the world to create. Because at the end of our life, what we want is to have it to be absolutely natural that those we love want to hold our hands. Right. Right. And, and it has meant, I just want to say that picture has meant more to me. The fact that you noticed that mm -hmm. and it hit at that pivotal time. I mean, we've created a whole program called Ziegler legacy and every talk that I give at that, that is the last slide that's shown. Wow. I've never wow. been anywhere. I've never been anywhere in the world where people didn't want what's in that picture. And so I just wanted to thank you for that. So. Oh, thank you guys. That, that is a beautiful oh story. I did not know that though. I know the picture well. And if anyone wants to see the picture that they're talking about, go to Facebook, type in Tom Ziegler and it is, it's his Facebook profile. Uh, picture. Wow. So yeah, I'm used to seeing it. Actually, I see it a, a ton because uh, you probably don't even know somehow I'm an admin on that page. And so I get all your alerts. <laughs> I have no idea why, <laughs> but, uh, well, I got to show you guys this. Can you guys see this picture here? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a picture a good brother of mine sent me. It's on Redwood. He he created this thing, and it's a picture of me and my. It's my seven biologicals before we had our adopted kids. Seven biological kids on a field about a mile from where I'm standing right now, all going away. But I never thought about it. I, you just gave me new meaning to this. It came with the uh, verse, John five fifteen. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. So, goodness. I, I wasn't planning on that direction today, guys. Thank you for that. There's, wow. my, there's my gift. Uh, we're my all gift crying here. We're all yeah, crying. Know, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh my gosh. We're going to just put out the video of this. Well, I'm going to segue because the book, I mean, Just Jones, it is about imparting legacy. And I think that, my gosh, as a father, there's nothing more I hope for is that I have imparted right. goodness and legacy to my kids. And we know, and I'm, I'm further and further impressed upon this, that where we find the most purpose, sitting peop with people like you, Andy, and you, Tom, and, and so many incredible people, that where we find the most purpose is when we matter to others, when we give meaning to others, when we impart whatever gifts we can uh, to others. And your book is just a, your other books are too, but this is, this is the new one. This is the one I'm reading right now. And it is such a beautiful depiction. I, I want it to be real. I want it to be, I want to be that guy. I want to be Jones. I want to take someone and lift them with whatever I have and with whatever I've been lifted with as well. So I'm going to ask you, I mean, I know you're, I feel, I can't say I know it feels like you have a thread, Andy, that you weave into all of your books and I could connect them all to some degree, but can I, was there any specific catalyst for this book, this message, what you specifically wanted in here? You know, this, this is the, this is the third Jones book. And it stands alone. You know what I mean? I, I would urge you, if you want to read this, read this now. This is the new one. And this is it's just Jones. And I I got to say that when I was writing this, I mean, you know how this works. I, I wrote it like a year ago. Now it's just coming out. And I didn't really have any idea that our world would be in the situation that it's in now yeah. with people as angry and at each other's throat. And the, the theme and thread of this book is, is uh, finding peace with your fellow man, finding peace within yourself, finding peace with your past, finding peace uh, with the future that is unknown. And, and finding peace in personal sacrifice for other people. And so this story uh, is, it's laugh out loud funny in places. It's a mystery. It, uh, it you know, it's it's teary in a couple of places. And it, it also, with the old man, it has uh, a lot of, a lot of teaching in it. There, there's business stuff in it. It's, it's a lot of, but this is a lot to gather, but I, this is my favorite that I've done. I, I'm really excited about this. One. Why, why, why is it your favorite? I think it's because I think more people will connect with this book. I think this, you know, and I hesitate to say, I don't know. You know, you, you, you hate to say nice stuff, I guess about yourself, but I, I really think this book will change lives. I think that that there is a, a connective piece in this book for everybody who reads it, especially at this time. I think this is a book you want to give to people. I think this is a book that will, that you're, if you read this aloud to your family at night, this is one that the kids would like. This is one that would create conversations for a lifetime. And, and it's, you know, it's got the, it's got the lady that everybody, nobody likes. And it's got the 13 year old kid that's pranking the town and these pranks are escalating. And, you know, it's got the young woman who's made some horrible choices and she's in real trouble. And then Jones right there when 
you know, there's he's always somebody is always somebody needing something. And he seems to be right there and he seems to have those answers. And yet he doesn't give them. He leads them to answers. You mentioned the young woman in that Keely uh, right. in, in the book and in and I found myself on both sides on one from her perspective, realizing I, I am also her. I am. I want to, I want to be Jones, but I, I am also her. I have right. the things I have, the bad choices that I have made. I have consequences from those. And I found myself, what more can I be Kevin? What, right. When I put myself here, what more is there that can come out of me? Cause I love, I love that. I mean, it's I'm so inspired to read and to see her rise up. I mean, you t- we, uh, from a story standpoint, how can we all not love? We love that. You know, it's Rudy. Uh, it's going to be, right. you're going to yeah. become more. Yeah. And likewise though, with Jones, the character also asking, Okay, you're going to appreciate this, Andy, because in page 114 of your book, you talk, <laughs> you, you cite John O'Leary. Uh, you cite Jones saying, okay, Andy, you got to go, you're going to go interview John O'Leary. I had John on here last week. Really? Yeah. Oh my gosh, John, how about that? John was on here last, I don't know if it's published yet. It may be, it may be published the next week, um, but John was on here and his statement, it was actually in the Habits show that you and I are going to do. His statement in there is his, his question to himself is what more can I do from a good standpoint, not the burden standpoint of sure, but sure. yeah, what more can I do? And that's what I found from your character. Jones is feeling like, what, gosh, what more can I do? So it really hit me as the, as the receiver and as the provider. And right. my thought is to put my own bias on there is that how can we, maybe we could get the most out of the book by allowing ourselves to be both people. Right. That's, that's, that's a good observation. That's a good observation. Have you gotten to the part yet where Jones, uh, mentions, right, where it mentions one of Zig's books? Oh, no, I must've, I know I would have written that down. Where, no, where's that? <laughs> well, it's in there. It's in there. You'll, you'll find it. You'll okay. Find it. All right. I'm 24 hours in, into the book, but you yeah. know, with that, one of the things that John said also, and it was repeated to me, Andy, uh, he said it to me in the week before Sam Collier. I don't know if you know Sam, but Sam, uh, an amazing guy that I had on the show. And he talked about purpose. We got in there and he said, what breaks your heart? And I hadn't had it put that way before. You know, per- when we talk about passion and, right. and, and purpose. He said, what That's breaks a great your- question. What breaks your- well, Sam said it. And then a week later, John said it as well. John said, oh, what breaks your heart? And I thought I found myself because it's on my mind thinking about that when when you wrote this book, like the thing, who was the, the the avatar? Was it the Keeley that you had in mind that I want them to get and my heart breaks for this? And now you're talking about the space that we're in right now, culture that we weren't when you wrote that. And I, I would right, imagine your heart's right. breaking even more out of that book. I'm going to ask that in reference to this book that you, what breaks your heart that you want to impart out of this book to that 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 avatar, that person that you really want to reach. I really want people to understand that the the only answer to our situation today is is God's love. That's our hmm. that's our only answer, you know. And and God's love in the form of forgiveness. Um, I mean, if you look at what's happening, Kevin. And if, you know, if your great-grandfather did something to my great-great-grandfather, and neither one of us know our great-great-grandfather's names, and what are we going to do? I I guess we're just going to be mad. And so at some point, there comes a time where we have to put that down, and we have to forgive, and we have to put down the anger, and... And so there is a there is a point in this book where uh, we find out that Ollie Sutherland, the the 13-year-old mm-hmm. kid, is very, very, very angry hmm. and for a really good reason. And uh, you know, I don't I don't want to blow the story or anything, but Jones talks to him about it, but then has the opportunity to demonstrate what he's talking about. And it's a shocking part of the book. And, uh, and it's, 
it's why I wrote the book. Well, I wish I had gotten there. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, and uh, yeah, <laughs> I do want to pull out though, as you talk about some of those, some of the, some of the points that stuck out to me in the book and relevant. Yeah. When you talk about right now, as of this recording, September, 2020 amidst the, well, you know, now we can't even say the pandemic, we have multiples uh, going on, I think. And we have people, we have an acute place of, I'm going to pull the word judgment out. It's one that has come up uh, with me in regards to, you know, politics right now, race right now, wearing a mask right now and religion right now, judgment, this word keeps coming out. And it was in, I think the first chapter possibly, and I'm going to take the quote that you wrote uh, in there saying, noting something is an observation, not a judgment. But observations over time added together and weighed carefully in context do lead to judgment. It's usually the quiet and unspoken kind, but it is still a judgment. And in today's world, this kind of judgment becomes the difference in yes and no, hired or rejected, laid off or retained, promoted or passed over. And then you end with, and most folks don't have a clue as to what happened one way or another. All right. Incredible words, but I pull that out because as much as I feel like I have been trying to deal with this, this concept that people are struggling with of, of judgment uh, and how it is misused and, and we see it abused and, and whatnot, especially from a religious standpoint, but people do judge a book by its cover. We are where we are. And sure. I love how you said that. I'm going to read it to my kids. And it reminds me of things that my father, you know, said, he said, Kevin, if you're not going to go to college, which I didn't, he said, it's okay. There'll be some doors that won't be open for you. There'll be some perspectives people have of you. And you've got to live with that. You will be judged. And I oh, okay, I'm okay. They told my brother that when it, with his first of God knows how many tattoos now he said, man, I'm not going to judge you for it, but some people will. And my brother said, okay. And he's not upset about it when people do. That aspect of observations, judgment, I think there's a lot to be said there, but also the reality that it does exist. I don't know how to get past it. And yeah, again, you wrote this before the time that we're in right now, and it's at an all time high. How can we, how can we better cope with the judgment that is, the, it is out there. We do judge a book by its cover. I think, I think most of us are probably more concerned about our children and that judgment and the world in which they uh, appear to be inheriting than we are ourselves. And, and so I think it's very important. It's important for us to understand and to seek a deeper understanding. You know, a, a, a definition of wisdom is a deeper understanding of principle, mm -hmm. deeper which it's curious to me to note that the, the, um, the definition is not a deep understanding of principle. It's a deeper understanding of principle. So when you get a deeper understanding of principle, where do you go from there? Well, deeper, I guess. Okay. Because it's, it's a never ending process. But to be able to understand uh, why other people make the choices that they do about us when we're talking about a judgment, when we're talking about, uh, you know, whether we get an opportunity or don't get an opportunity, or we get hired or fired, or whether we get promoted or, or, or laid off or promoted or stuck where we are. Uh, but I think for our children, we have the opportunity. Uh, you can't explain anything until you understand it very well. Right. You know, and so to gain an understanding and be able to present an explanation, I wondered for a long time, you know, why there were certain families that that generation after generation after generation, they came, they seemed to uh, increase in wisdom and wealth. And then there were other families that like my family, that it just every generation seemed to start over and and nothing was passed down and and so i i also wondered why it was that these generational generationally successful families they would give so much money to politics and give so much money to 
to charitable organizations and they would just seemingly care. They did care so much that other people would learn those principles that that they had used to become successful and generationally successful. And then you look at the other side and those people would seemingly give anything to know. You know, what is it? What is it? Well, so where was the gap? You know, where was the, you know, if you got one side that's willing to tell how to do it and you got one side that really wants it done, why is it not happening? And and I have come to the conclusion that it is a lack of understanding on the side of the people who they know how to do it. They know how to raise kids. They know how to make money. They know how. They just don't know why it works as it does. And you can know how a principle works, but until you know why it works as it does, you will never be able to use it in as many different contexts as is available, and you'll never be able to explain it to somebody in a way that they can use it in their life. Mm-hmm. That sounds like your dad there, Tom. Um, that I don't know why lately that's been on me. I think you talked about it in a couple of shows we did together that the point wasn't just that he spent three hours every morning reading. It was his why so that he could impart it to somebody else. And it's just been weighing on my mind. I'm, I'm going to assume that was what God had for me right now. That Am I taking this in just for me or is it to to impart. And with what you just said, uh, Andy, it made me think of tithing. You know, we all, everybody in church knows about tithing. What do you tithe? You tithe your money, how much, 10%, whatever. But this book of Jess Jones is a guy who tithe, well, he tithed this life is what it feels like, but tithing of what we learn, just what you said, understanding and then tithing, what can we impart and I think we tend to not do that. I think so many people discount themselves because they have it. Well, to what you just said, what, what did you say to, d- to deep understanding? I don't What is that? But a we can deeper, all go deeper. A deeper understanding of principle. We you know, can, that we, that there is more, you know, you, we continue to learn more. We continue to go deeper. It's a constant and never ending search mm-hmm. for a deeper understanding. I want to ask yeah. you, but go ahead, Tom. I was, I was just going to jump in um, because I'm smiling because this is my quest. I'm the, I'm the why behind the why guy. Uh, you know, dad had this eloquence, this gift, this ability to inspire and get people to take action. And his quotes were so memorable because they were distilled down into, you know, something that anybody could go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Right, and, right. And through that, I've met. Uh, so many people, and, and one of my mentors and friends is, is Rabbi Daniel Lappin, and he wow. he is the you know one of the guys I look to for the deeper. And so we and here's an example. So everybody knows we should be generous, right? I mean it's scriptural. We should be generous with others. You talked about people who figured it out. It just comes natural that they want to be generous. But the principle when it goes deeper is just a simple quote from Rabbi Lappin, which is opportunity seeks out the generous. And that's like a head turner because wait a second, right. what do you mean? Oh yeah, it's, it's because of this. The people who you love, your friends, and they come to you and they say, Andy, can you help me? And you know, they're serious. And you look at the opportunity and you're like, Oh, no, that's not my expertise. I would love to help you, but I can't. And then they say, Andy, who do you know who could help me? Hmm. Well, your first thought isn't, well, I'm going to send them to the greediest, most self-centered expert I can find. No, this is, <laughs> this is the friend that you love. So you're going to combine somebody who's generous, who's going to want the best for them, along with having the capability, the knowledge, and the wisdom to help them. And so I think you're dead on. I mean, the, the book is hitting the nail on the head. It's the, it's the deeper. And that is the, you know, we're in a world of slogans, but it's all surface. Right. Right. And, and you know, if you look at uh, just studying Jewish history, 
their history is, is they were always overthrown and their land was taken and their treasure was confiscated and they've had to move through the, through the, through the centuries. But the one thing that can't be stolen is wisdom. And they could take that with them everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so now when you look at the success and, and, you know, whether it's Nobel prizes or whatever, it's that, it's that commitment to the deeper that carries yeah. on. So that's exactly to- right. That's exactly right. That's a good point. Well, and when you talk about wisdom, the next uh, a point I wanted to hit on, I didn't write any notes on it. Uh, Andy, I just, I just stuck it out there and I thought, I want you to talk to us about it because it's just one that I think I have a healthy fear of. And in the book, you know, Jones is talking to Keeley and he gets on her. I think it was at the beginning in the jail cell about kidding yourself. And my dear friend, uh, my doctor, Tom's doctor, my co-host on my other, uh, podcast, the true life podcast, Randy James, Dr. Randy James, he, he says the, the most dangerous thing, and he's talking health and wellness, but overall is, is we don't know what we don't know. Right. And he's given me a very, I hope, healthy fear of that. And when you talked about kidding yourself again, I just took it to home and I want to know that I, I, I have a dear wife who will sometimes uh, point that out where I'm kidding myself. I, I don't always like to hear it. I don't ever like to hear it. I don't think, but I, but I want to, and I need to <laughs> about how we're kidding ourselves. And I just, I, I just, I just had this vision of you as the noticer. I'm going to back up Tom as the noticer of my gosh, wouldn't we all love to have a, a somebody to point it out or a, a light that goes off on our head that we can't stop to, when we're kidding ourselves because it's rampant. I, I just, I don't know. It just stuck yeah. out like a sore thumb. That's funny. Yeah. Jones, Jones says, he says, you know, I always thought that if Moses had had more time on the mountain, he would have come back with 11. Yes, that's right. Because I think right. number 11 would have been thou shalt not kid thyself because more time and money have been wasted by people kidding themselves than for any other reason. Well, I want you to bring it down, though, to where you see. Let's bring it down culturally. I mean, you stand up in front of audiences. You write to, to, to you know, hundreds of thousands of people, millions. And right. where do you see when you look at the media today, when you look at the culture, you look at the issues, where would you say? Because you're, you're, I like that. You, that was just, you gave it some gravity. It's the 11th commandment. Thou shalt not kid yeah. yourself. What well, do we here's, do? See, see here's, here's where it boils down. And Jones talks about this. Is there there is... One of the major ways that we kid ourselves is there is a big difference in what is true and in the truth. The truth connotes a bottom line. That's foundation. That's as far as you can go. But there are things that are true along the way, and we tend to stop there. You know, we, you know, why do we stop there? But, well, because it's true. It, you know, it's an answer. It's, you know, it's producing some results. But the, the challenge is that these results are not the best. Okay. Okay. So, because if, if we believe that God wants his best for you, okay, well, do you want the best for you? And you would say, well, yeah, I do. Okay. Okay. Well, who, who do you think has a better imagination, God or you? Hmm. Well, probably God. Okay. So when God is imagining his best for you and you're imagining your best for you, how big is that gap? Because the best is one thing. It's one thing. I mean, there can be different categories, Okay, but we're not talking about among the best. We're not talking about some of the best or, you know, the best of the decade. We said the best. That's one thing. It's like the truth. That's one thing. There can be different categories, but there's one thing. And it's a curious connection between the two because you can know the truth and still never accomplish the best, but you will never accomplish the best without knowing the truth. I was, that was page 120 out of your book, by the way, I had, I had, I literally had that pulled out. I had, this is, this is right out. I want folks to hear it. If a person has any inclination toward the best that life has to offer a constant and never ending search for truth is a must for uh, a while. One can't know the truth and never achieve uh, the best. It is not possible to achieve the best without knowing the truth. The truth. That's a volatile word. 
right now that's a vo- maybe it always is, but that's a volatile uh, topic. The truth. What is true? When we get into religion and absolute truth and, and, and any others, and we're more and more back to not wanting to state any truth, but then back to kidding ourselves. What is the truth about me? And as you said, it often it, it's often painful. Uh, well, see, I'll, get, I'll give you an example. Um, it, you know, it's like we've heard people say forever. I mean, how many speakers have you heard say? How many books have you seen written that your choices determine your destiny? It is your choices that determine where you end up in life. That's a great example of something that is true, but not the truth. It's it's true, but there is a deep there is a deeper understanding. There's a foundational level below that that nobody ever talks about. Um, you know, because if it's if it's our, you know, our choices, can you think about how we deal with children on choices? We say, uh, you know, make good choices, make good choices, make sure you make good choices. What's one thing you want to do? Make good choices. And, and then they come home with a letter from school and we say, was that a good choice? I go, well, you know, no, that wasn't a good choice. Okay, well, what do we talk about making good choices? And it's kind of like telling a kid to go out in the backyard and, and take a quarter and flip heads every time. You know, flip heads, flip heads. What was that a tail? What did I just tell you to flip heads? And you would say, well, that's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, it, it is. Because how would we expect a kid to flip heads every time unless we as adults had understood how it was possible and could explain it to a kid? Okay, well, how could we expect kids or anybody to make good choices unless we knew where choices even came from? And so there is a foundational level below choices, and that is our thinking. Can't go any deeper than that. It is your thinking that determines where you end up in life, because it's your thinking that determines every choice you've ever made and ever will make. And and if you ever doubt that, you got to understand that every choice you've ever made, every choice you'll ever make is totally determined by how you think, what you think, how long you think about it, what you decide you don't need to think about so that you won't be distracted from thinking about what you got to think about so that you can decide. And so it's our thinking that determines our choices, but that's good news because even though our thinking determines our choices, you have been created with free will and you can choose how you think. You make a big point. Well, Jones in the book makes a big point of in that, in the vein, you're just down. What most folks lack is perspective, a broader view. And that one sticks out with me because as a businessman, I'll tell you with a businessman, let's talk about ideas and opportunities. I am very competent at having a broader view, expanding somebody's perspective and I'll figure out a way to do that. Now, if you come over here into relationships, I'm not often so great in that same frame set there to have a perspective, to have a broader view of how things should be, could be. And again, so I'm taking this and trying to own it for myself. But overall, I do feel like we are, and I, it's so cumbersome to, I, I want to be optimistic, but I feel pessimistic a lot about the culture, about where we are, about where things are heading, about where the media is and the pulse of our culture, that it doesn't feel like we are, uh, are we're, we're doing well with having a broader view. And our perspectives are so skewed and narrow and we're back to kidding ourselves. It feels like. Right. Yeah. And the perspective, you know, most, most people, if you ask what is perspective, most people would say, well, it's how you see things. You know, it's whether you see a glass half empty or glass half full. And in, in the book, in just Jones, he says, it's, it's not just how you see things. It's how you choose to see them because the glass is what it is. The amount of liquid in the glass has not changed, but how you choose to see that makes all the difference in the road that your life takes. Okay. With that same um, kind of the tension between perspectives on something, a big piece of the book that I, I love, and I think we always love this from a mentoring character 
is the expectation. I'm going to use that word. I want to play with that word expectation because I mean, we also have the old cliche of expectations are premeditated resentments. We have it in a negative aspect. And, <laughs> right. and I've, I've experienced that one. I have lived that one out. I've embodied that one. Um, I've received that. I've, I, I get that part. But that's, a pers- that's one side of an expectation. Another side is believing more from somebody. So in the book, the depiction that you have of Jones with Keeley and how he believes more from her and about her and helps her be able to do that. I think that's what made Zig Ziglar who he is, is he authentically, he wasn't just blowing sunshine, Pollyanna motivation from the stage. I mean, down in your face, I, 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 I got to experience it somewhat before he passed away with Tom. I got to see it in their family. It was one of the most impacting things I've ever experienced to see that expectation of you are as unto God and humanity, you are capable of, of more. You really, I believe it. I'm going to help lift you up there. It's so different and it's so rare. I think most people haven't ever experienced it, that this reading it in your book could be the first time they've experienced it. And it may feel a little bit too much. Um, now you, I mean, this is a depiction of your life. You, I was really surprised. You actually, you know, use your name. It's you, Andy Andrews. Right. It's the real deal. Um, I assume you took some creative liberties in there. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a character in the book, but yeah. there's a ton of true. There's a ton of real stuff there. Well, that balance that, that expectation that we may not have somebody like a Jones in our life. How do we have and it see, for ourselves? That, that is where, you know, one of the things Jones did is kind of back to our beginning that Jones, he was the first one to hand me three biographies. He gave me Winston Churchill, Will Rogers and George Washington Carver. Hmm. And uh, and I, you know, I had never liked biographies. I, I don't know why, I guess, because they made us read them in school and I didn't see the point. But I remember when he handed them to me and I didn't know what to say. And I, I just said biographies and he said no these are adventure stories these are mysteries and romances and thrillers and they're true Hmm. and and so to to be able you know you cannot read a biography without understanding that these people to a great degree went through way more stuff than, than we have let stop us in our lives. You know, that that's just, I mean, it's almost just a common theme uh, that, that this adversity seems to be a preparation for greatness. And and of course it would be. I mean, the gym is a great metaphor. You know what, how, how do muscles happen by resistance? Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, it hurts and it's not fun. And it's something you have to make yourself do. But, but that is, that was a genius. uh, that, That was something that God put in, Zig, or that that Zig was able to recognize in other people, and and I know you saw this many times, and I know Tom saw this many times, but there was a, the you know the the way Zig would end his speeches many times, it was general, and then it was. Very personal because, you know, he and it was like an expectation. It's like I'm talking to all you guys, but I'm also talking to you right there because the way he would do it, he would go. And if you can do all these things, I will see you. And I do mean you at the top. And it was a it, it was a, a a moment of let's stop here just for a second and just remember we're talking about you yeah yeah everybody you know hey, we can all do it everybody can do it but you can accomplish what most people think is impossible. 
Well, and there's the tagline of your book. Sometimes a thing is impossible until it is actually done. And I love self-help books. I love nonfiction, uh, but I also love fiction. I, I, I adore it. And you're right. It sticks in my head. I, I, I tend to use the word uh, haunt, which is a bad, it has a bad connotation, but <laughs> I, I, it sticks. It, I, it ruminates and it marinates in my head when I've got those characters to think of. And I find myself thinking, yeah, about the characters in your book, the things that they embodied, the values. And it's just, it's powerful. I'm gonna have my kids uh, read it, Andy. And they will, uh, I want the context for our family to talk about, cause we do that with movies, uh, yeah, so much yeah. more than we do. Uh, seldom do we read a, a, a great self-help personal development book, which that's my arena, but do we do that? And, and we have those anchoring sticking points. So it feels brilliant. I'm just, I'm grateful for you putting it out. I'm grateful to share Thank it with you, everybody. Man. Um, thanks for taking the time with us today and doing what you do to bring this forth. It's just a gift. Man, thank you. And if anybody that uh, you know gets it in the in this month of September, I'd like to give them a gift. We've got a, uh, I've got a four-hour audio program that I would love to. Uh, that if they just just get the book, you know, see anywhere, and just send us a screenshot or a photo of of your receipt to Andy at AndyAndrews.com, and we'll send you absolutely free this four-hour audio program called becoming a noticer mm. that I did. And so it's a, it's a companion to the whole series, but I, I would be honored to offer that to your audience. Thank awesome. And that's you. awesome. We appreciate you. You're hereby honorary Ziegler. <laughs> Thank you, buddy. I, I love your family and your organization. Honored to be there. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, there you go, folks. Inspiration and heart from one of the great storytellers and souls of our time. I really, really encourage you to get Andy's new book, Just Jones, from Amazon or anywhere. When you do, send him a receipt, just a screenshot, whatever, to Andy at AndyAndrews.com, and you'll gain access to his four-hour audio program, Becoming a Noticer. Coming up in episode 820 asking to be paid. You have a product or service to provide. You love for people to experience it, but alas, you also need income from the time and money you spend devoting and developing your product or service, which means not just sales, but the ultimate setting of a price and asking to be paid. And this is not a fun aspect for so many. In fact, it's often a place of severe dread with multiple negative feelings attached to it. Well, this show is for you and it's packed with paradigm shifting perspective changers you can take action on right now. I think it'll free you right now. So I kicked the show off with a three and a half minute clip from Zig where he shares a time when he was kindly chastised for selling his books and tapes and resources from the stage where he was presenting and told it took away from his credibility. How did he respond? Well, you're going to want to hear that in the show. And from his message, I asked the Ziegler audience this question. For those of you with a product, service, or message you truly believe in, how do you feel about the task of actually selling it and asking others to pay? I know I always say we get great comments, but friends, this turned into possibly one of the most valuable shows on how we can perceive what we provide provide and charge for it with peace, joy, and confidence. Till then, folks, thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together. 